been preaching on stewardship for many, many, many years. And this year I decided to really preach not on stewardship so much as our relationship with money. And I was worried about it. For months I've been a little worried about it and how it would go over. And I really, it's funny, I've gotten more comments and responses from my sermons this month than I ever um, dreamed I would. I had one husband call me and tell me that their wife was cleaning out her closet after my sermon on scarcity and could I preach that sermon once a month? <laughs> Not sure what was going on there, but I took it as a positive thing. So we've talked about the role of money in our lives. We've talked about the myth of scarcity and us, our, our world thinking that there's not enough for everyone. And so we all have to try to get our share first so that we're not left without. And we've talked about sufficiency and what it means to feel like we're enough and that there's enough and that we're not in a competition of life. And today I want to talk about what Lynn Twist calls the three truths of sufficiency. Uh, Lynn, Twi Lynn Twist, if you have not been here previous weeks, uh, wrote a book called The Soul of Money. And it has really been what I have been leaning on uh, this month for our sermons. And this book really is not a book about stewardship or for churches, but it is about what money really means to us. And so if you remember that sufficiency is getting to the point that, that we recognize the world isn't about me or you, but the world is about me and you, and how we can be in this together, we both can have enough. And then remembering that sufficiency was understanding that we are enough. We ourselves are enough. That we don't have to constantly try to get more and more in the midst of difficulty. We're enough. So today I want to share with you these three truths of sufficiency and, and kind of how I think they uh, affect us and what they mean to us. And the first is that money is like water. Lynn tells this story of meeting two extremely different people on the same day and her trying to raise money for her hunger project. So the first was the head of a very important, well-known food company. And she was in Chicago and she was entered into the building and rode up this tall, tall elevator. And she said, as I was riding to the top of the building, I kept feeling further and further away from the real world. And as I finally got to his high-rise office, I was escorted in, and she sat down in front of his desk to give him the spiel that she needed to give him about her hunger project. And literally within a few words, he had opened his desk drawer. He had taken out a check for $50,000 and he'd slid it across the desk and said, thank you. We've had a lot of problems here and we need some good PR. 
So we're giving you this money and escorted her out of the office. She left. She put the money in her briefcase. She left. She knew that he did not really want to hear her spill. He didn't really care. He just wanted some good PR for his company. She rode the elevator down, and she said, as I got closer and closer to the earth and the world, I just had this discomfort inside of me, but I had to get to my next meeting, which was in New York City. So I got on the plane, I flew to New York City, and I was meeting with a group of people in Harlem. And she said, I didn't really understand why I was going to meet with this group of people in Harlem to get money donated, but I went. And she said, it was pouring down rain. It was just raining cats and dogs. She said, I walked into the building and I went down the stairs into this big room where there were about 75 people from the neighborhood sitting all around the room, there were buckets catching the water that was dripping in uh, around the edges. And she began to give her spiel there. It was the exact opposite of what she had been in in Chicago. The exact opposite. There were all kinds of noises outside, traffic, the rain, sirens, the drips of the bucket. She was still dressed in her silk dress that she had put on to impress the business person. And she was definitely the best dressed person in this room of people. And she just didn't feel like there was money to be raised in the room. But she jumped in and she told them all about the Hunger Project and the work they were doing in Africa. And when it came time to lay it all out there and ask for money, she was so hesitant to ask, but she did. Her palms were sweating, but she said it. I need money. And anything you could give would help. She said the room fell silent. You could only hear the drips of that water. When a woman stood up from the back row, she was in her late 60s or early 70s. Her name was Gertrude. She said, girl, my name is Gertrude, and I like what you said, and I like you. Now, I ain't got no checkbook, and I ain't got no credit cards. To me, money is like water. For some folks, it rushes through their life like a raging river but money comes through my life like a little trickle. But I want to pass it on in a way that does the most good for the most folks. I see that as my right, and I see that as my responsibility, and it is also my joy. I have $50 that I earned from doing a white woman's wash, and I want to give it to you. And she walked up the aisle and she handed her $50 in cash. By the end of the gathering, she had received $500 from this small group of people in Harlem. But that money had come from the soul of people. It didn't come from a bank accountant that was intending on easing their guilt for something that had happened. That money came from the soul of people 
who felt it their, their responsibility to help people. That money taught her that the power of money is really derived from the intention we give it and not from the integrity with which we direct it into the world. The next day, she took that $50,000 check and she put it in an envelope and she mailed it back to the CEO of the company and she said... The way that our money is spent matters. And I think you should find a way to use this money that's important to you. One of the sayings that I love is be known for what you allocate, not for what you accumulate. How our money flows through us like water is important. Have you ever taken the time to sit down and look at what you spend your money on? Our banking um, system has a way that you can go online and you can ask your statements to be divided in what you spend them on. Food, gas, utilities, credit cards, that kind of thing. It's very interesting practice to look down at three or four months of a statement and see where your money is used and what it's used for. Does your money come to you in a way that is nourishing and positive and life-giving? Or does it come to you in a way that depletes you or exploits you or others or the environment? Does the way you receive money give you life or does it take life away from you? The way we earn money is important and the way that we spend it matters. There's a saying in Haiti, if you get a piece of cake and eat the whole thing, you will feel empty. But if you get a piece of cake and share half of it, you will feel full and fulfilled. The second truth of sufficiency is that what you appreciate, appreciates. What you appreciate, appreciates. We have the opportunity to direct our attention in the way that we relate to money. And when we do it, it empowers us. It becomes who we are and what we are about. When we allow jealousy and envy and resentment and even vengeance to become the focus of our attention or our money, then we become jealous and envious and resentful and vengeful people. But when we direct our attention to creativity and courage and integrity, then we become expressions of those qualities in everything that we do, and especially in our interaction with money. It's been proven over and over and over that when countries or towns that are in desperate need, when the trucks of aid begin to arrive, that one of two things happen. One thing that happens is someone steps in and takes control of all of that, and they use the power of it to keep 
people in need, in need. Or the second thing that happens is that so much aid goes in that people just become dependent on the aid. When someone goes in to a problem area and works with the people and lets the people become in, involved in the problem and lets the people help find a solution, then their lives are changed and change can really happen. An interesting thing happened to the man who received the $50,000 in money back. A few years later, he retired from the company and he contacted Lynn and met with her again. This time, he wanted to know about her project. This time, he wanted to invest his life in her pro program and he began to volunteer, and he began to give. In truth, he ended up giving much more than $50,000 because he invested himself. He didn't just write a check. The third truth of sufficiency is that collaboration creates prosperity. I love this one most because it's what we're here today. It's why we're here today. It's what we're all about as a church. Collaboration. When we do things together, good things happen. The church was created because sharing the gospel message is easier when we do it together. When we come together to allow each one of our gifts to be used together, to create the complete body of Christ. Good things happen. I never, ever, ever liked doing yard work. Never, ever. I still do not. But I remember as, as a single woman in Oklahoma that my dad would show up some mornings and he would say, on Saturdays, and he'd say, let's get busy. And we'd go work all day in the yard. And you know what? It was wonderful. I hated the work. But doing it with my dad made it great. Same thing with Roy and I. When there are things that I don't like to do, if we do it together, it makes it so much better. Collaboration. Collaboration is where it's all at. When we come together and when each one of us use our unique gifts and our unique offerings, then the gospel message spreads. It flows like water through us to the community, to the country, to the world. I feel like Highland Park is at a real crossroads right now. We're seeking new ways to be church, new ways to be church to this new young generation while also the meeting the needs of you all who have been here and who have been committed to this church. We're doing that through some new real and different ways. Uh, we've signed up to be in a program with an interesting group that is looking at churches and helping them grow as progressive churches in our world. And we're doing that through their team looking at our website and our structure and through some classes that I'm taking and possibly the council will do some work on.
but it's helping us understand church for the new generation. And the 2020 council that we'll be voting on in a few weeks, that council's going to be on a retreat in January to look at some research done by a woman that I met through my Macedonian group who is a researcher and she's been doing research with Harvard to discover what the millennials are looking for, not only in church, but in faith. Both of these things give me great excitement about the future, recognizing that we are sufficient as a body of Christ. Those of us here could have a wonderful future as we are. But we have to work to prepare this church for a new generation. We see them sitting up here at the beginning of our service. We have to prepare this church for that generation. And it's time that we begin that work. And it's not going to be easy work, but it's going to be exciting work. And we have to do it together. And I bring that up because we are now ready to look at our budget for 2020. And we can't do that without you. We were very excited when Paragon Prep moved into our building because they could help us take care of this building. And that's exactly what they're doing. They are helping us take care of this building. But they're not helping us take care of our ministries. That's up to you. That's up to each and every one of you to help us take these steps to sustain this church today, but to also prepare this church for tomorrow. So I hope and pray that this week you will take the opportunity to look at your relationship with money, with this church, and that you will really think about what you can pledge to this congregation, to this church, for the future, for the future. And next Sunday, we will come together and we will celebrate this church, what we are and what we hope to be. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Amen and amen. Our hymn of response is 637.